everybody, and welcome to the Power of Sports podcast, where the geeks meet the jocks, but this time there are no wedgies. I'm your host, Aaron Miller, and today, in this first episode of the show, we will talk to diehard sports fan Jeremy Metavoy, who will tell us about his long-term love affair with the Georgetown Hoyas men's basketball team and why he has long admired their play and their stance on social issues. Before we get to that, though, I want to tell you a little bit about why I decided to start this podcast and why I think it may be a valuable addition to your podcast listening routine. I love sports. I grew up playing and watching them. I've coached them, and now I study them and teach about them too. I've made most of my friends in school through sports, and I still play, watch, and talk about sports with these friends today. There is just something about sports that fascinates me and millions of others too. So this podcast is a place to explore how and why sports play such an instrumental role in so many people's lives, including my own. My main goal here is to create a tiny corner of the internet to show the power of sports in a positive light. I hope to demonstrate this power to you by interviewing guests who share in my passion for sports as players, as coaches, and as fans, and by having a great time in the process. I believe sports can serve as powerful tools of positive and progressive social change, and I hope that in listening to a few of these episodes, you'll come to agree that the power of sports is in our hands. Typically, this podcast will be produced in one-hour increments once every few weeks, and it will focus on an interview with someone who has some kind of knowledge of sports, although they may not necessarily be a household name. I come from a school of thought that assumes that everyone Everyone has an important story to tell, and that it is by asking the right questions that we may come to understand what drives people to live the way that they live and love sports in the way that they do and we do. So I hope you enjoy the show and all the shows that will follow. And if you do, please subscribe, tell a friend, and write a review. It's very exciting for me to get the chance to do this podcast. I really appreciate you listening, and I hope that this tiny corner of the internet helps you live a brighter day. Now, on to the interview. All right, well, welcome, Jeremy. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our guest is Jeremy Isaac Metavoy, and my best friend and best man at my wedding and lifelong friends. And Jeremy, I just want to say thanks for being on the Power of Sports podcast. Well, thanks for having me, Aaron. Of course. I, I'm happy to, to talk to you and, and your listeners. Thank you so much. Now, we, of course, grew up watching sports together and playing sports together. And, uh, you know, trying now to play at least. <laughs> well, you were pretty good, Jeremy. I, I still remember that deadly three pointer of yours. But, you know, now we're watching our kids grow up and from a distance, unfortunately, but they share our love of sports, which is great. And, you know, maybe it's a good thing that we're living at a distance, you know, given the vacuum cleaner incident from way, way back. I don't know if you wanted to tell the listeners that story on the air, Jeremy, but, you know, this would be a great opportunity for you. Yeah, I think the statute of limitations has probably passed on its fault, so I could tell it, but I'm going to choose not to. <laughs> okay, well, spoken like a very seasoned lawyer there. Thank you, Jeremy. Well, let's move on and let's talk about the power of sports in our lives. And we've obviously had a lot of laughs and a lot of fun watching and playing sports over the years. And, you know, obviously I've tried to make a career out of my love of sports and you've remained a diehard sports fan all these years, especially to one particular college sports program. So let's start there by having you explain how you became a diehard Georgetown Hoyas basketball fan. The reasons go to both what I saw on the court from the team. And frankly, that was sort of winning and a style of play and winning that I loved so much, but also sort of off the court messages from the team and issues that sort of surrounded the program that I came to really appreciate as well. I loved basketball. I loved the flow of the game. I loved the speed of the game, the emotions of the game. And I played a lot, right? My dad put up a court, as you know, or a hoop on our garage, and I played all the time. But the other thing I did is I, frankly, I watched so much basketball. And growing up in the mid to late 80s, we had ESPN. ESPN started in 1979. And it was like a match made in heaven. What else started in 1979 was the Big East Conference. Mm -hmm. There was Big Monday, and then CBS also had games on the weekend between these Big East teams, right? I'm in Northern California, but I'm watching these teams on the East Coast. 
And I loved it. And I watched all the teams. There was Providence College. There was Georgetown. There was Syracuse. There was Seton Hall. There was Villanova. And they won. So that's what I said. A lot of it came down. This was the best team. And I started just following. So that's what I say. The team, the winning, the style of play, that's what sort of got me interested. What got me hooked on the team, though, Aaron, was the -the off-the-court stuff. and. What happened was when I was 12 years old, my dad brought me home this book. This is Big Man on Campus, okay? And this was written by Leonard Shapiro, a reporter for the Washington Post. And so, you know, I started reading about this team. And I read about the coach, John Thompson. And I just learned, you know, that there was a lot of off-the-court stuff that really fascinated me. He had a really unique perspective on the game and sort of where this game fit in with larger sort of life issues, including Mm -hmm. education, including race and other social issues. And so John Thompson used the platform of the game to get his messages out. And then a lot of that is really what got me hooked and got me to be this diehard fan. One more thing, though, about this questionnaire and sort of to bring it full circle. I've always recognized, though, that while what got me hooked was sort of this off-the-court stuff, to bring it full circle, I bring it back to winning. Why? Because none of those messages that the coach and the team could get out would have been possible if the team didn't win and didn't win in the style that they did. And John Thompson always said, right, he used the game as a platform for himself to spread these larger issues. And so that's why I say what made me a diehard fan was both from on the court stuff and off the court stuff. Thank you very much for sharing that with me. So you mentioned John Thompson's unique perspective on the game and obviously Big Man on Campus, the Shapiro biography of John Thompson and Georgetown Hoyes, which is a great book for any of the listeners out there, if you haven't read it. And it was one of the first sports books I read as well. I imagine, I don't really remember exactly, but I imagine you put me onto that book. And so that's cool to hear that it was your dad that bought it for you. And I imagine that was part of the connection too, right? Of Georgetown, of you know, having a connection with your dad. Was your dad there watching those games with you or were you watching on your own or with yeah. your sisters? Or Well, that's the thing. You know, I told you how much I loved basketball. And it's funny, neither of my parents were huge sports fans, basketball fans. Yeah, I suppose, you know, I watched some of the games with them, but not a lot. I think, frankly, you know, it was mostly me, this just sort of this random, you know, I became this this fanatic, but it was pretty random. And I think it was mostly me watching. Of course, I think they appreciated it. And especially <laughs> like the, you know, I said, he got me the book. I think, you know, they probably felt like, well, how do we get Jeremy to read? Well, let's give him something to read that he's interested right. in. Let's pull him away from Big Monday. <laughs> He's addicted to Big Monday. You know, yeah. I was addicted to Big Monday too. And, and again, it must have been somewhat related to our relationship. I want you to tell this story in a minute about when we first talked about Syracuse and Georgetown and their great rivalry. But before I do, I'll just say, yeah, I mean, I was watching Big Monday just like you were. And I don't know exactly how I came across it and whether you were the one who told me about it. You know, imagine like most things basketball, it probably was you that put me onto it, being a couple years older than me and knowing about these things before I did. Well, I wonder if you could share with the listeners your recollection of when we met. Our families have known each other forever. I've known you literally my entire life because our parents are great friends. And so I think, what was I, maybe about five, six, maybe you were about seven, eight, nine, something like that. And we were at this Memorial Day barbecue, I think. From what I remember, we are families. I don't remember when we did it, whether it was Memorial Day or Labor Day, but our families used to meet every year for a picnic somewhere in Sonoma. That's right. You told me that you really liked Syracuse and Georgetown. (laughs) And I said, Aaron, (laughs) you can't cheer for both of those teams. They're rivals. Those are the classic Big East rivals. And you said to me, well, who do you cheer for? And I said, Georgetown. And ever since then, we both have been big Georgetown fans. That's exactly right. That's That's my memory. Yeah, no, that's exactly my memory of it, too. And I just think it's hilarious because it just shows how idiotic I was as a small child. But I suppose I am still like that today. But okay, so tell me more about John Thompson. And he did have a very unique perspective on the game, and particularly in terms of how he wanted to coach and teach his players. So 
tell me a little bit more about your views of John Thompson. So let me give you some examples, because I use that term unique perspective, and I always did really appreciate his perspective. I think it'd be easiest if I gave you a few of examples of what I mean. One thing that always stood out to me is the importance he put on education. And he understood, which is important, I think, especially in the time of big time college athletics, where there's a lot of cynicism about these players coming in at big schools just to play the sport and not really get the education. He saw things differently. And I think the biggest symbol of that is what is really, to this day, the symbol of Georgetown basketball. And that is a deflated basketball. He's always kept a deflated basketball. In fact, before coming to Georgetown, he coached at a high school in Washington, D.C. called St. Anthony's, which no longer exists. But even then, he kept a deflated basketball. What he would tell his kids is he would say, at some point, the ball is going to stop bouncing. And so it was a symbol. Your ball is not always going to be bouncing. So you need to have something to fall back on besides basketball. And what is that? He thought that was education. And so he, it was very important for him that his kids knew why they were at school to get an education and an education from Georgetown University, something that a lot, not all, but a lot of his students probably would not have had the opportunity to do. So that's one thing, the deflated basketball, which I think is a great symbol for the perspective of what the game meant. The other thing that was, I think, very telling and also came with him from his days at St. Anthony's, where he met what came to be his education coordinator who was Miss Mary Fenlon. When he arrived at Georgetown, he hired two assistant coaches, but he used one of the assistant positions to hire Mary Fenlon as the academic coordinator. And she was there with him his entire time at Georgetown. I'm going to read you a quote of how John Thompson described Mary Fenlon. He said, I'm a basketball coach, and if it were up to me, I'd spend all our time on basketball. Mary won't allow me to do that. She'll shoo the players out of the gym if she has to. Mm. And so he had the wherewithal to realize, right? Hey, I'm a coach. I want these players in the gym. I want to win. But how many people would do that? By the way, she sat on that bench every game. She was a part of the team. So he realized, I can't let myself get in the way of the education. One more quote I think that's important that I'd like to read, Aaron. And this was from a game in the 1970s where his team had just beat West Virginia, which was a really big game in the ECAC at the time. And his players were, you know, they won on a game winning shot and his players came into the gym. They were all excited, shouting and screaming. And Thompson walked into the office and here's the quote. He said, I told them to be quiet. I wanted to tell them something. I said it was a great win, mostly for me, that I was going to get a lot of publicity. Maybe I'd get a raise, even a better job offer. Then I said, what are you guys getting out of it? And I walked out. I didn't want them ever to forget the bargain they'd made, the real reason they were at Georgetown. Mm. So that tells you sort of what he always kept that perspective, why they were there. And just one more thing on the education, 76 out of the 78 players who stayed four years under him ended up earning a degree. And one thing I'll say about that, because I don't want to mislead the listeners, and I think this is an important point. It's very important what I said about who stayed four years. There were a lot of players who went to Georgetown under him who couldn't cut it. Didn't stay the four years. So some people say this number is misleading. I don't know if it's misleading, but I think to give the full picture, you should know a lot of players didn't stay. Why is that? He was tough. It's tough. They weren't there just for basketball. They had to go to class. They had to meet with Mary Fenlon every week. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't for everyone. And a lot of the players, frankly, said to hell with this. This Mm -hmm. isn't for me. Other than that, he was also hard on them and, you know, cursing them out at practice. and. So I wanted to tell you that as sort of the full picture. Those are some examples, Aaron, of the perspective. And just for our listeners to know, Mary Fenlon, she did not have any role in the basketball teaching. Is, is that right? She was not a 
basketball mind. She wasn't a defensive coach or anything like that. She was strictly on the staff and sat on the bench strictly for that purpose of emphasizing the importance of education to the program. Right. That's great. Thank you for that, Jeremy. So you've been a fan now of Georgetown for more than three decades, and I know you own boxes of memorabilia. I wonder if you could share one or two of your favorite pieces of memorabilia. By the way, thank you for calling it memorabilia because my wife refers to it as my crap. (laughs) Um, So I appreciate that, Aaron. No comment on that, Jeremy. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I brought a few of the things into here. I know that our listeners can't see, but you can describe them. One of the things I have here is a basketball that is signed by Coach Thompson. Oh, look at that. One of my trips to Washington, I actually was on the campus. I had this ball and I actually met the assistant at the time who was Craig Escherich. Ah, yes. And I gave Craig Escherich the ball and he told me to come back the next day and he got the ball signed for me by Coach Thompson. So that's that's not a dedicated fan. I don't know what is. So Jeremy... (laughs) Yeah. You, you said you took a couple of trips to D.C. Were these related to Georgetown or were they unrelated? So my dad, as you know, Aaron, did freelance travel writing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he had a number of trips thought to the East Coast that he took me along with. I still have some family in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we took that opportunity to go to Washington on some of these trips to see family. I remember one time we were there and, you know, in the summer they have a summer league at Georgetown mm-hmm. called the Kenner League. Yes, of course. And one time we happened to be there during that. We went to a game. I remember seeing Allen Iverson at play in the Kenner League, for I example. I remember you telling me about that when you came back. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I did have a chance. Now, back to the a few things on the memorabilia. I do have, Aaron, I've collected over the years media guides, media oh. guides and programs. Coach Thompson started coaching the team in 1972. I have a program from 1972-73 season. Wait a minute, Jeremy. That was before you were born. Yes. So Aaron, one of the things that you actually introduced me to was (laughs) eBay. And so I've gotten these on eBay. Now you see the back of it says best of luck to the Hoya basketball team and its new coach, John Thompson. And so I have a number, well, not a number. I have basically every media guide from the time he coached Check out this piece of memorabilia. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let me stop yeah. you there, Jeremy. You have yeah. every media guide from it. John Thompson coached for how many years? I believe 27. Did you go on eBay and buy all of these programs other than the ones you attended yourself after you moved back east? Yeah. So the older ones, like from the 70s, right, and the 80s, but then... Well, I guess the nineties. More recently, <laughs> more recently, I started just getting them from the school. Now, this is another cool thing I have, Aaron. One of the coaches since Coach Thompson was his son, John mm-hmm. Thompson III. This is a photograph with me and John Thompson III and my oldest daughter, Lucy, from when she was just a baby. Oh, wow. Uh, you see that there? And John, seen that one. And, and he signed it. And as you can see what he wrote, it's pretty neat. It says, to Lucy, make shots, John Thompson III. And one thing I love about that is I think it sort of symbolizes... In a way, the simplicity of the game. What Mm -hmm. is basketball all about? Make shots, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And that's often what I say when I watch the team. Just make your damn shots. One other story, if it's okay, Aaron, for memorabilia. Because this is is one of my favorite things. I have these shoes. These (laughs) Nike Dunks from the 1980s. Those are amazing. With the back, they say Hoyas. Now, how did I get these? This is one of my favorite stories. This was in 2008. I should tell you, I was a season ticket holder for 17 years. So in 2008, Georgetown played Louisville. And they had this promotion where the first 200 fans would get these shoes. So you can imagine me, Aaron. I was like, I got to have those shoes. (laughs) Now, there was a problem. The first 200 student fans... I wasn't a student and never have been a student at Georgetown. So that's fine. I'm trying to find ways, scheming with my wife. How can I get these shoes? Yeah, obviously I can't get them. I can't get in line. So how did I get them? Then I go on this great thing again that you introduced me to after the game on eBay. I said, some kids got to be selling these. I got to get these. Whatever price at the time I was making good money, I said, I got to get these shoes. So I found someone on eBay, 
selling them. It was obviously a student because that was the only people who could get them. Right. Bought them. Right. I wasn't going to get outbid on these. I needed these. And then I'm communicating with this kid, emailing him because I didn't want him to send them. I wanted to go pick them up. So we make arrangements. Wait, why was that? You didn't want them to get damaged in the mail? Yeah. And and plus, you know, I worked in D.C. I was like, I'm going to just go meet the kid on campus and get them. So I'm emailing with him. We decide we're going to meet one evening in the front gate of Georgetown. So I tell Lauren, Lauren's my wife. I tell her, I say, meet me after work. We're going to go to Georgetown. We're going to get these shoes and then we can go get something to eat. So we're standing there. She's like, well, how do you know what he looks like? I said, I don't know. It was probably some geeky student because, you know, he had told me, yeah, I've got a stats exam and then I'll come meet you. So I'm picturing some geeky kid bringing me these shoes. So we see four guys walking up with this shoe box, four big guys, right? (laughs) I'm like, okay, there they are. It turns out this was a football player on the Georgetown football team who got them. And he sold them to me. So he comes up. So we, anyway, we very nice. We do the exchange and that, and I get the shoes, but that's not the best of the story. Here's my favorite part of the story. Then I'm on the phone with my sister, Michelle, who, you know, Mm -hmm. and I'm explaining to her what happened. So I said, yeah, Michelle, you know, I'm picturing some, you know, geeky Georgetown student coming to deliver me shoes. Turns out it's this big football player. So Michelle says to me, Jeremy, you're expecting some geeky kid. Imagine what he thought when he (laughs) saw you, (laughs) which is true. And that's fine. But I got my shoes. So those are something that I really like. I've never worn them either. Well, anyway, that's my memorabilia. After all that trouble, I mean, how could you get those shoes dirty, right? You you can't. You have to keep those in a glass case, I think. Boy, those are those are really nice shoes. And I mean, they, they kind of look like Air Jordans. I mean, they're really sleek yeah. Nikes and says Hoyas in big letters on the back. Those are super cool. So as your support for the Hoyas remained constant, you know, you mentioned that you were season ticket holder 17 years. I assume that means that you're not a season ticket holder anymore. I'm not. We, as you know, a few years we moved out to Frederick County, Maryland, but it was just too far. We're about 50 miles north of D.C., and it was just too much. You know, I had to for, I think, the first year we were out here, but I wasn't able to go a lot. So I gave them up. I still watch every game. And, you know, I try to get to a few games still a season. How do you pick the games that you go to now? Ooh, it's sort of random. You know, I don't have a great answer. I usually try to go to one or two games prior to the Big East schedule, and then I'll try to go to maybe one or two Big East games. And I take my girls. And and actually, two years ago, I did something neat for the first time is I took all of them up to Syracuse for a game. Yes, I remember. Um, That was a lot of fun. I bet. And so tell me about your relationship with your girls and watching the Hoyas. What's their perspective on the Hoyas? Yeah. So my oldest daughter loves basketball as well. She loves watching with me. And that's something I've really enjoyed is sort of sharing my passion for Georgetown basketball with her. Sure. And she watches the games with me. My others aren't as into it, although they do like to come to the games, mostly for the food. But Lucy will watch all the games on TV with me. She cheers like hell with me. She knows all the players just like me. She screams at the TV like me. So that is a lot of fun for me to sort of share that passion with her. She did a number of years ago, and this I think goes to the questionnaire and about has my faith in the team remained constant. Mm-hmm. She did, you know, it's a lot of her friends at school like the typical schools, the Duke, the North Carolina, the Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And she said to me a couple of years ago, she said, I wish we cheered for a team that won. <laughs> <laughs> but I told her, I said, well, Lucy, a couple things. One is, our love for Hoyas basketball goes beyond just winning and losing, Mm. right? Second point is that sports give us hope. Yeah, while the Hoyas have not been a great team of late, every year we go in with a hope of them improving. And that's a reflection of what sports, I think, mean to a lot of people. I'm glad to hear that you are spending time with your girls watching basketball. And I hope that they have a love of the memorabilia too. Uh, (laughs) since it's probably laying around every bedroom of the house. So at its core, this podcast is really about the power of sports. And I wanted to include a diehard sports fans perspective, which is why I asked you to to join today. And I really appreciate you doing so. 
So can you tell the listeners what it means to you or maybe even how it feels to you to be a Hoyas fan? Hmm. Let me do this. I'm a fan of, of other teams too. Mm-hmm. And so, and I think this will give you a good idea of what I mean by, you know, what sort of separates diehards. I'm a fan, for example, like you of the 49ers. Unfortunately, I'm a fan of the Sacramento Kings. Okay. <laughs> and they haven't made the playoffs in 14 seasons with those teams, for example. Yeah, I'm a big fan. I'll watch the games. Let's say they don't do as well. I don't get as into it. Mm. With Georgetown, it doesn't matter. Okay. They could lose every game. I'm going to be there watching. So Aaron, I know you have two boys. Now, do they ever misbehave? Never. Perfect. (laughs) Perfect angels, Jeremy. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, wait, so, no, I, sorry, I made a mistake. Every 14 seconds. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And same with my girls, right? They're generally sweet, but they can be terrors. Why <laughs> do I ask that? Because no matter what, you always love them, right? Of course. And that's, to me, that's what it is with Hoya's basketball. They could be horrible, just horrible. I am always going to cheer for them. And frankly, I think a lot of it, Aaron, is just because of how long I have followed the team. Sure. I followed the team for so long that they're just a part of it. They're a part of my life. I watch them all the time. So that's how I describe to you. That's how, to me, it feels to be a real diehard fan and how it's different from some of the other teams that I follow. You know, it's interesting that you say that it's sort of an unconditional love because I think to diehard sports fans, that's sort of an understood thing, right? And it doesn't really get verbalized too often, but it is a reality for so many sports fans out there that their team is really a part of the family. There's a, a matter of loyalty there, I think. And I also just think it is just pure, unadulterated love. So that's cool, Jeremy. One more story that I think, you know, goes a little bit to that. That's just a funny story I wanted to pop in. When a few years ago, when we were selling our house in Bethesda, to move out here. Now we got an offer from one of the buyers and one of the prospective buyers. And and with their offer, they sent us like a little note describing who they are, why they would be interested in the house. And at the end of the note, I guess the buyers, you know, saw a bunch of my Georgetown stuff. And at the end of the note, they put go Hoyas. (laughs) So my agent, who's a, you know, became a, a friend of ours, she emailed us the note and she, the first thing she said, she said, Jeremy, do not be persuaded by the go Hoyas at the <laughs> end, of, you know, cause she knew, she knew that I could be persuaded by something like that. That's really funny, Jeremy. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, love makes us do strange things. Doesn't it? You know, I've heard about this term Hoya paranoia and, uh, and I wonder if you could explain that to the listeners as well. What does it mean to you and how does it relate to your experience as a fan? Sure. Let me just get this. I'll show you something else here. And I have this Coke bottle from 1984 when they won the national championship. And what does it say on the back? Hoya paranoia. paranoia. Catch it. Yeah. So, well, so, I think you're going to catch something if you drink that. So Hoya paranoia is actually a term that actually started with the media, Aaron. And mm-hmm. it started, some news reporters started using it in Washington as a reflection of what they saw as the paranoid state of Georgetown basketball and specifically Coach Thompson. Mm. And because Coach Thompson really sort of tried to protect his teams, not just from the media, but from everyone in the outside world, but the media was part of it. And so Mm. he had, in a way, a very closed program. And a lot of that was related to the media. And he frankly thought the media treated him unfairly. Mm -hmm. I think that he probably thought that the media portrayed him and his teams in a racist way. Mm -hmm. And it was his way of sort of having this, what has been termed paranoia, but this is my team. I'm not letting you in. Mm -hmm. And just some examples of that. He started a policy which is in place at Georgetown to this day, something I'm actually no longer a fan of. I don't think they should do it anymore. But they only make freshmen available to the media after January 1st. Hmm. So the first semester, freshmen are not talking to the media. Not something Mm -hmm. he started. 
another symbol of Hoya paranoia to me. You go into McDonough Arena where they have practice, where they used to play. And the doors are these wooden doors with glass plates, like windows to mm-hmm. look in. He had tape put up, like tape so that you can't see in because mm. his practices are closed and you can't know. You know, that's his program. Stay away from it. That's his team. He protected them. So that's how the term started. To me, Hoya Paranoia also, though, reflects sort of the way the team really was portrayed in the 1980s. And that's this sort of us against them mentality. Right. And that we're, you know, we're coming in here. You know, his teams were mostly African-American. You know, they came into gyms and sort of thought the world was against them. And frankly, there was a lot of that. I mean, there was extreme racism against a lot of their players. There mm-hmm. were signs, for just as an example, they were playing Villanova once in the 80s. Someone had a sign up in the stadium saying, Patrick Ewing can't read this. Oh, my. Okay. Well, what did Thompson do as a sign? He was very protective of his team. He took his team off the court. Mm-hmm. He told them, and he kept one of the managers he kept out the managers of the team. And he told them to tell them if they remove the sign, but he told the Villanova administrators, if that sign and any other sign like that is not removed, my team's not playing again, perspective. What does Mm -hmm. the game mean? This is a game. He's not bringing his team out on the court with that sign. And as you can imagine, it's a televised game. Probably never saw Villanova administrators running so fast to having those signs removed. And his team came out and played the game. So, you know, Georgetown fans, I think, have adopted Hoya paranoia as a sort of an endearing term. Like, yes, you know, we're crazy for the Hoyas. But there's a lot of actual real meaning that goes into that term from where it started. And it deals a lot also with sort of social issues that were Mm -hmm. affecting the team. And do you think that those, you know, you've already mentioned education, but do you think those social issues are part of what makes your experience as a fan unique? I think so. Let me put it like this. It's not necessarily that I necessarily believe in all of them. That's not to say I don't believe in the issues he was fighting for. I do. It was more to me of sort of an intellectual interest. And it was this idea that there is more to the game than what's being played on the court. And that's what always fascinated me so much with the program is that we're there to watch the game, right? But there was so much more to it than the game because of what the team sort of brought to light, these issues that they brought to light. Some of them were these sort of controversial issues that dealt with like racial issues. Others, honestly, were just sort of other perspectives that make sense. I'll give you another example. In the 1982 national championship game, they had a guard named Fred Brown. Mm -hmm. And most people remember that game from Michael Jordan's game-winning shot. Of course. It's not completely a game-winning shot because it wasn't like at the buzzer, but he made the shot. Then what happened? There were a few seconds for Georgetown to to come down and try to win it. Well, what happened? Freddie Brown dribbled down the court. He went to make a pass in the last seconds. And he threw the ball to James Worthy. Unfortunately, James Worthy played for North Carolina. Mm. And when I say he did that, you know, for any listeners who haven't seen the replay, I don't just mean he made a close pass and James Worthy stole it. I mean, literally, he threw the ball to James Worthy. It was a mental lapse. Right. And again, in these day and ages where you have coaches that live to win and winning is all important. What did Thompson do? And this was a moment everyone saw on TV. Thompson hugged him and he said, you know, he said, hey, you made a mistake. That's life. So, yeah, so there were a lot of these sort of other issues that came up again. That's not so much a controversial. It doesn't involve sort of race or these social issues, but it's life. And again, it's perspective and it's something that goes beyond the game that sort of drew me in. Yes, absolutely. That's a great story. I'm glad you brought it up because I think you're absolutely right. Most people who know that game at all know it for Jordan's shot, which kind of put him on the map. So people kind of forget about Freddie Brown. And what John Thompson did there was, I think, you know, really heroic and probably incredibly meaningful in Freddie Brown's life, I would imagine. 
Now, Jeremy, do you have a favorite game from your time as a Georgetown fan? I mean, you're talking here about a game where you were five years old when it happened. I, I don't know whether you were actually watching the game live, but. Yeah, no, and I did not see, at least I don't remember watching that game. My earliest memories of a Georgetown season would have been the 86-87 season, which mm-hmm. was when I was 10. Maybe I saw games before then. I don't know, but that is at least my memory. And the only reason I have a specific memory of that is because Reggie Williams, who's from Baltimore, mm-hmm. he was a senior, and they dubbed that team the Reggie and the Miracles because Reggie took them. I think that year they went to the Elite Eight. But that's my earliest memory. My favorite game, I mean, there's been so many. One of the games that really stands out to me was in, I think it was 2005. We were there. They played number one Duke with J.J. Mm -hmm. Redick. Oh, yeah, I remember. So Georgetown was not ranked. They had a good team. It was John Thompson, the third, second year where they had, you know, players like Roy Hibbert and Jeff Green. They had two California kids on the team, Brandon Bowman and Ashanti Cook. Mm -hmm. So they come in, you know, Duke comes in. I was at the game with Lauren. And I remember telling Lauren at the beginning of the game, I said, look, I said it. Do we have a shot here? They were playing number one Duke. I said, at halftime, I want to be down by four points. That's my goal. I want to be losing by four points at halftime. Aaron, at halftime, Georgetown was up by 12. This was like unbelievable. And they pulled it out in the second half. They, Duke made it a really close game. But just the field, the fans rushed the court. It was electric. Where our season tickets were, is they were the last row of the first section. So the mm-hmm. lower bowl. But what did that mean? Behind us were these uh, suites. And that was great because at this game, who had the suite behind us but some Duke alumni? Some <laughs> Duke, right? So it was wonderful. And you know me, I couldn't help myself going crazy with them <laughs> right behind us. So anyway, that was a fantastic game. I think that also really brought Georgetown back. From the end of John Thompson's tenure, and then they had a coach, Craig Esherick, and then JT3, mm-hmm. they had a lot of down years. Yeah. And when JT3 took over, he came in and at his press conference, he said, you know, some have forgotten we are Georgetown. And that stands out to me because Georgetown was in the 80s, as you know, and 90s even was this tough, great team. And they had down years. And that was the saying, some had forgotten. I feel like that Duke game sort of put them back on the map. And actually, the next year, they made it all the way to the final four. So that was a fun game to be at. So, Jeremy, do you have a favorite player? This is a tough question for me because, really, I come to love all the players that play at Georgetown. I think if I had to say, though, the players that I end up really cheering for are sort of those underdog Mm -hmm. kids who come in. And let me give you three examples who I'd say, right? But the last one, I'll tell you more of a story about him because I think it's great. So one, there was a point guard. Again, I didn't see him actually play, but I've seen like highlights of those games. And one was this player, Gene Smith, who was a point guard from Washington, D.C., who played in the early 80s and was on the championship team. So underdog story, right? Because when he came in, Coach Thompson recruited him, but he said, look, you're basically going to be a practice player. Mm. But he worked his way and through what? Through defense. And Mm. he was so fun to watch on defense, right? He really got low and got into the other team's guards. So that's one. The other player who played around the time when you and I really started watching the team was another point guard from Washington, D.C., Charles Smith. Mm -hmm. Again, Charles Smith became an All-American. When he started at Georgetown, Thompson told him, you're here for defense. You're not going to play much, and you're here for defense. But these kids just came in and made the most of their opportunity. He ended up being an Mm All-American. And then last, who's more relevant because he's more current, is a player, another point guard, as you, I'm sure you know of this kid, Jonathan Wallace. Mm-hmm. He played on the most recently on the Final Four team. And his story is a great story. John Wallace was a kid from Alabama, from a small town in Alabama. He was sort of your all-American kid, like you, Aaron. He was a high school quarterback. He was the point guard. He was the class president his senior year. 
So what kinds of things do those kids do? He grew up, by the way, on a farm in Alabama, a cattle farm. Those kinds of kids usually go to the Ivy League. And that's what he signed on to do. He was going to, he was committed to go play at Princeton University. Perfect spot, you'd think, for that kind of kid. So what happened going into his freshman year is John Thompson III, he was the coach at Princeton. He recruited John Wallace to Princeton. He then got the position at Georgetown. So John Thompson III, and this is a legendary story, John Thompson III went to Wallace and he said, look, if you want, you can come with me to play at Georgetown. I don't have a scholarship for you and you'll never play. That's what we'd think, right? The difference between a Princeton and a school like Georgetown. Okay, you were recruited by Princeton. You can't play at a school like Georgetown, a Big East school. Wallace took advantage. He went to Georgetown. Remember what Thompson told him. He said, you're not going to get a scholarship and you're never going to play. Would you believe John Wallace started every game of his career for four (laughs) years at Georgetown? And I think that just shows he took advantage. He made the most of the opportunity. Thompson awarded him a scholarship after his first semester playing. And he went on, had an incredible career at Georgetown, is the number two all-time three-point shooter at Georgetown. He went on, he was actually accepted to the law school at Georgetown. He ended up instead playing basketball for years overseas. And then he ended up getting an MBA at Georgetown. And he's now a front office executive for the Denver Nuggets. You know, I didn't know about what he did afterwards. That's really fascinating, Jeremy. Yeah. So, I mean, that's an incredible story, right? You're never going to play, but you can come with me if you want. And then Thompson ended up saying, you know, he was interviewed about that later. And Thompson said, look, he said he came with me and he was just someone that always made me feel comfortable, like my security blanket on the court. And I needed him in the games. One more story about John Wallace. So when he showed up at Georgetown for his, the summer play in the Kenner League, Jeff Green, who was sort of the pride, you know, he's an NBA player. He was sort of, of the course. prized recruit, ended up being one of John Wallace's best friends. But Jeff Green said he saw Wallace show up to school that summer and he thought he was like the equipment manager for the team, right? So that was a great story. Wow, that's great, Jerry. Thank you for sharing that. So let's move on now to the current state of Georgetown basketball. I want to get your thoughts on that. You know, it's been a little bit of a a little hiatus here from the, let's say, the national spotlight. But I wonder what you think about the program locally. You live out that way, but also nationally. What do you think of uh, Georgetown's team now, the coach, the, the players, the prospects for the team going forward? Yeah. So, again, they've had some down years. Patrick Ewing now is the coach, obviously played under Coach Thompson at Georgetown. And Coach Ewing has done a pretty good job in his four years. But what you said is absolutely right. They are not very relevant. Unfortunately, not just on the national scene, but even on the local scene. And they're having a difficult time recruiting local kids. And in this area in Washington, that's a hotbed for high school basketball, but they haven't been able to recruit some of those kids. It's a little bit ironic. I think oftentimes the kids' parents know all about Georgetown basketball because mm. they were growing up in it, but the kids themselves, you know, it's not as relevant. And I think Ewing is starting to pick that up. He's done okay in recruiting. I think he's got to do a better job of getting kids to stick around from this area. The other thing that to me is a little bit unfortunate is, you know, one of the things that drew me and I think a lot of people during Georgetown's heyday to the team was their defense and their defensive intensity. You saw these guys, I mean, not giving the offense any space. They're right up in them. And you watch the games today and the defense is just disappointing. Something you wouldn't think for a Patrick Ewing team. Right. So it's been a challenge, but I do hope that Ewing can, you know, it's about recruiting. I think his on-the-court coaching has been good. The other thing I would like to see from Coach Ewing is I'd like to see him bring in some assistant coaches who are part of the family, so to speak. One of the things that Coach Thompson always did. I mean, Coach Thompson from the time 
His first assistants were not Georgetown people, but neither was he. It was his first year. But later on, all of his assistants were former players. And if you look at a lot of the successful programs, look at, say, Duke, Mm -hmm. look at Coach K's bench, look at North Carolina, look at Roy Williams' bench. Those are assistants from those schools. They know the program. They know the, the recruiting and they create more of this sort of family atmosphere, something that Coach Thompson had at Georgetown. None of Ewing's assistants are Georgetown people, so to speak. And I think that it would be good for him to try to create also this sort of more of a family relationship. That ended, by the way, when John Thompson III came. I mean, John mm-hmm. Thompson III came and brought in his assistants from Princeton and elsewhere. And look, I mean, it, it, they're the coach and they're going to decide their assistants, but I do think there's something to be said of creating that sort of family environment. Yeah. And also, I think connecting the past teams to the present team, right? Because there was, a, as you say, like a, an attention to defense that used to be kind of the hallmark of Georgetown basketball. You know, unfortunately, it doesn't seem to be the case anymore. So maybe having some assistance from previous teams might help with that. Let's bring the conversation full circle. And, you know, I wanted you to kind of reflect on John Thompson. You know, fortunately, he passed away at the end of August. And you know, how would you describe his impact on Georgetown basketball and, and also you as a fan? Yeah, so, I mean, I think his impact, it's, I think he is Georgetown basketball because, you know, when he came in 1972, the year before Georgetown was three and 23. And Georgetown was this sleepy little, you know, good academic institution, but a school in Northwest Washington, no one thought of it as a basketball school. You know, he took over and from there obviously turned it into a basketball power. So in terms of his impact on Georgetown, they're one in the same almost mm-hmm. like he created the Georgetown program. Although the team play has played, there was a Georgetown basketball team since 19. 19- no seven. It wasn't the Georgetown basketball that we know that started with John Thompson. So that's his impact. I mean, on me, I think as a fan, I think that, look, I wouldn't be a fan. You wouldn't be a fan of Georgetown basketball if it weren't for him, because again, it goes back to the winning, right? I mean, it goes back to being a relevant program. It was relevant because of him. But I do think what's so neat is that the program also because of him went beyond winning. The program won. The program was good and they made three final fours in four-year period. But the program, for the reasons I've described today, was not about winning. The program was about so much more than winning because, again, he used that program as a platform to send messages In a sense, he was really more than a coach. He was an educator. He was an educator. He was an activist. And he just used that platform to get his messages out. Don't get me wrong. I'm sure he was a very competitive guy who wanted to win also who had that drive. But he also had the wherewithal to use that platform for much larger purposes. Mm -hmm. And how do you think the program today should continue to connect itself to Thompson? I may be more in the minority on this for other fans. You know, there's a lot of fans, for example, to say, no matter what, the coach has to be sort of lineage to Coach Thompson. Mm -hmm. Like now it's Patrick Ewing. Sure. I think that there's a way to hold on to Coach Thompson and what he started at Georgetown, but to also branch out. These are different times. I alluded to earlier, for example, we still have the policy of freshmen can't talk to media until after their first semester. That was something he brought in. Mm -hmm. I would do away with that. These are different times. The students today, I think, want to have more visibility and they want to talk to the media. That's just one example of things that I would move away from. The school is always going to be connected to him, regardless of who's coaching. While I'm not suggesting I want to get rid of Coach Ewing, I think he's done a fine job. I like him, and I also respect that Coach Ewing has had the same emphasis on education Mm -hmm. and no nonsense. He's kicked off a number of players already from the team who were not disciplined and who had sort of off-court issues. 
So I respect that, but I don't feel like it needs to be that way. And you can still have a connection to Coach Thompson. I feel like we can look beyond and try to get the best coach, for example, to coach the team. Look at St. John's. St. John's had a coach for years, maybe more years than Thompson, Louis Carnesecca. Of course. The program is still tied to Louis Carnesecca. They have a court named after Louis Carnesecca. They owe a great deal to what Louis Carnesecca brought to St. John's. But they also just hired as a coach, Mike Davis, from who coached at, at uh, Arkansas, who didn't go to St. John's, doesn't otherwise have a connection, but he's a good coach. And you can have both. You can maintain this connection to the history of what John Thompson started and respect that while also branching off and doing what's best for the basketball program. So speaking of connection, though, let's sum things up. How would you summarize your own connection to Georgetown and and John Thompson and all these years of being a diehard basketball fan? Look, really, it's just as a fan. That's what my connection is. I don't want to overstate it. I didn't go to school there, so I'm not an alum. I'm a fan, but I've been a fan for a long time, as long as I can really remember following basketball and sort of appreciated all of what the program has done for the game and then again for issues beyond the game. But that's what I am. I'm a fan, a diehard fan, but just a fan. Yeah. Well, you're much more than a fan, Jeremy. You're a great human being. And I really appreciate you taking time to help me out here today with the podcast. It's been a lot of fun to hear these stories. And frankly, there are a bunch of stories that you told today that I wasn't aware of myself. And we've been friends all our lives. So it was a lot of fun. Thanks a lot. Yeah. No, I had fun too, Aaron. Thank you. And I just wanted to say thank you for doing this podcast. And thank you for doing what you're doing. I'm proud of you for sort of following your passion and making your passion part of your profession. I think that's very admirable. You taught me how to play basketball. You taught me how to watch basketball. And there would be no career in sports without your being huh. into sports yourself. So right. thanks, Jeremy. Well, thank you, Aaron. Okay, okay. Talk, soon. talk to you later. Okay, bye-bye. Right. Bye-bye. Well, that will wrap up our show this time. I hope you enjoyed it. Did Jeremy's experiences resonate with your own? I know they did with me. My sincere thanks to Jeremy for making it a great hour of my life, and my sincere thanks to you for listening. Never forget that my listeners are what makes this show possible, so please find me on my Patreon page and share your comments, questions, or suggestions for future episodes. You can find me there by searching for Aaron L. Miller. That's A-A-R-O-N-L as in Larry, M-I-L-L-E-R. Again, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a great day.